Our scripture today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. I myself, Paul, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I ask that when I am present, I need not show boldness by daring to oppose those who think we are acting according to human standards. Indeed, we live as humans, but do not wage war according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We are ready to punish away every, whoops, Punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If you are confident that you belong to Christ, remind yourself of this, that just as you belong to Christ, so also do we. Now even if I boast a little too much, of our authority which the Lord gave for building you up and not for tearing you down. I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem as though I am trying to frighten you with my letters. For someone says, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we also do when present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they do not show good sense. We, however, will not boast beyond limits but will keep within the field that God has assigned to us to reach out even as far as you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It is a joy and pleasure and an honor to be back again among you at this great and amazing church and fellowship. It has been 30 years of in and out of this place, and I had hoped that if I grew up enough and got good enough, I could be just like Byron and become the UCCM chaplain. It's it's the high point of my life, and I'm really grateful, but we're grateful for your continued support and a part of this ministry. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you for this day. We ask that the spirit of a living God both animate us and move through us and in us and around us, that the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight and give us a wild imagination to be able to say boldly, 
We have been in the presence of God. We live in the presence of God. And we manifest the presence of God. In Jesus' name, amen. This is one of my favorite preaching moments when I look at the book of Corinthians. Now, I did not say first or second Corinthians because, quite frankly, Corinthians is a mess. It is an absolute mess. Mainly because we're in the middle, not of one conversation, but of many conversations, and we have a snippet of it. And all we have is really first and second Corinthians. I love those folks who look at that and say, let's study first and second Corinthians, as if somehow you can understand it by reading it more. But there are some real interesting themes that come out of first and second Corinthians. Uh, the new scholarship, not new, probably just because I take a while to read, but the scholarship have said of late, and it was a clarifying moment that I want you to understand the system, the setting of the Corinthian church. First of all, I had thought, and maybe you have because I was raised in the church, that the Corinthians church is some of the bold, wow, amazing institution, and that found out it's only 40 to 150 people. A very small church, kind of like the size of most churches in America. In fact, for some of us, it's a mega church. But quite frankly, it is not this huge church, and it is a church that has come into being in the middle of a time when, for the first time, they're talking about espousing a faith that is not just an affirmation of one idea, an affirmation of one culture, but actually an affirmation that is dealing with diversity. Rather than trying to say who we are by the basis of our ethnicity or who we are by the basis of what we even have encountered in God, but who we are on the basis of this dude named Jesus. And relationship is the main thing. In fact, this, 30 to 100, this 40 to 150 people have a few Jewish people, mostly Gentile, and some upper class and lower class folk. They have people kind of like our churches. Wild diversity, not because it's trying to be diverse, because it is diverse. There's a difference when you're trying to be diverse, right? Because any church that tries to be diverse is not diverse. Because you end up only inviting people that are like you, but may be poor, or they may have a different color, but they're really like you. But if in fact you have a diverse church where you simply have a lot of people who are coming together, they come together bringing all of their thoughts, their beliefs, their understanding, and they're trying to create a community. And God, that's hard. We see this Corinthian church trying to figure out what does it mean to be community with all of this diversity on the basis of this Jesus fellow. For you see, it's a weird thing to me that presently religion is all about me and God, me and Jesus. Well, that part's easy. Because Jesus will do, do one or two things for me. Jesus either makes me uncomfortable or he's just like me. <laughs> when he's just like me, I realize that's because he's making me uncomfortable and it's easier to decide that he's like me. And the problem is when it's just me and Jesus and nobody calling me into accountability. And the only thing that gets me bad is when I meet other people that say that's not Jesus. Like, that's Jesus to me. That's not the problem. 
The problem is, who are we in community? And the great gift of the church, the great gift of this between this time between Christ and the emergence of Christianity is that how we create community. I fear sometimes that the church presently, we, are, we have not stepped into our gifts, our gift of how we create community. The great gift of the church should be grace and relationship. It should not be the cultural wars or whether we're winning or losing, but here is the great scandal and amazement of Christianity. Instead of looking at winning and losing, it looks at what happens when you're the winner and the loser. What happens when you are, in point of fact, the person who have done wrong as well as a person who's been right? This dude, uh, Paul, another dimension of this Corinthians, has done a lot of stuff badly. I am always surprised when people tell me, we don't need to listen to Paul because you know he was a misogynist. Well, a misogynist, I'm saying it incorrect, incorrectly. You know, you know he, was, he was against everything. I mean, he was wrong on everything. And I look at them, yeah, just like me. I've been wrong a lot of times in my life. I've been messed up. And I like to forget the things I used to do, but I live with them every day. And the more I try to forget them, actually the more I end up being the hypocrite that judges them and other people. And so this Paul, between these, these letters, we have this church contending, and the way contentions go, the way that we fight one another, we're real cool when there's not an issue. When there's an issue, we throw each other's background around, don't we? Don't look at me like I don't want to. If you're on the internet, you just, this is great. You don't have to, you don't have to look. But if you're here, just look straight, straight ahead, right? <laughs> Especially if you're with your significant other going, yeah, that's right, you keep bringing back stuff. Don't do that. <laughs> the reality is, that's what we do. Because ultimately speaking, we are not God. We can forgive you, but forgetting is a very hard thing. And not only do we have to forget and forgive, but also trusting you, because the reason we don't forget is because of the issue of trust. How can we trust you? So somewhere in First and Second Corinthians, and especially in this 10th verse, we have this this and the seventh and tenth chapter, we have this because I have to, you know, say I went to seminary, so I have to actually let you know that I understand that there are these fragments that pop up that don't fit the narrative. Okay, that's the only time everybody in seminary happy I've, I've read a book. But the reality is, ultimately speaking, what we're saying is in the, in the middle, we know something has happened, that there were other letters, and that Paul has to defend himself. Why does he have to defend himself? He has to defend himself because people are looking like, oh, you, you're the one that's trying to tell me? You're the one that's supposed to have the authority? You're the one who God uses? I don't think so. Remember, this is Paul who killed folk for believing as they believe. This is Paul who messed up things in the community. This is Paul 
the dude is a really bad guy, and now God uses him? <laughs> wow. That's grace. A God who chooses to use us, and I love the, every time I get to this point when I'm talking to people, they love it because they think of themselves. They're like, oh, grace, God, that just means I'm usable. Hallelujah. That just means that my no longer forget. That's cool, except that when you're talking about somebody else. When you're talking to somebody who's been wrong on every issue, someone who's done pain, I'm not talking about people who might be guilty. I'm talking about people who have been guilty. Folk who hurt you and hurt people like you. Can you imagine God using and reforming them? That's the hard part of grace. Not that you don't go to hell, whether you believe it or not, because you know, I ain't never been there, hope I don't ever go in there, and really I'm not the travel agent. But right now, I live in this reality. And in this reality, I have to decide what I'm going to do with an enemy who has been reformed. Because without doing that, there is no peace. Now, I'm in Palo Alto, and because I'm going to drive away, I'm going to say this, and I hope you understand this. I am a person who affirms all the things that the liberal agenda does. In fact, my church is to the left of me. We have a black, you have a Black Lives Matter banner. We took all those banners, put them together, put them on the side of our church. They're bigger than the cross on our church. So that's not the problem. But there's a danger in being woke without being awoke in grace. There's a danger of holding people only to their past and not saying what is their future. In fact, when the church becomes that, we're just another political institution. We're just another religious, we're just another political movement. But the problem is the ugliness, the weirdness, the squiggliness of this Corinthian church to struggle with. What does it mean when someone is reformed? God can use not only my broken vessel, but others' broken vessel. What? How do we re-enfranchise somebody? We are interesting all across America and on particular university campus, the reason that we have these silos is that we don't believe we'll grow. And I want to tell you something, and maybe, maybe this is not true for you, but I am not the same person I was 30 years ago. I know y'all might be. You might be absolutely consistent. But in 30 years, I've been wrong. In 30 years, I've grown. In 30 years, I've experienced grace like never before. In 30 years, I thought things were wrong that I now knew that I was wrong to think. And that journey, that journey of faith is my credentials of grace. That now I can speak to things. It's always interesting to me being uh, both inner faith and then being uh, and then Baptist and being uh, now Presbyterian and being at one point non-denominational, people always say, 
Every time they want to talk to evangelicals, they say, get Floyd, he can talk to them. They never occurred why I can talk to them because, quite frankly, I grew up with them. And then they look at me and they say, oh, you're all liberal. But I wasn't always that way. That that biography of hurt, that stumbling biography stumbled me into grace. Is there room in our understanding of what it means to be politically and socially woke for reformation? Is there room for someone not to just be loved and redeemed, but to become a leader and to become someone who speaks out of their experience? Is there room for what Paul says? Look at the scriptures now. Look back on that particular passage, and it becomes even interesting because what they were really challenging is his authority. By what authority? See, this is a hard thing. This is where I like to walk, but I can't. I'm in this cone, so I'm going to stay in this cone, right? <laughs> How, by what authority, Paul, do you speak? He said, first of all, I don't speak on the authority that I've always been right or regard of your humanity. Human beings, I'm not comparing myself the same way as other people do. Who's right? Was I always right? Did I always win? That's not my authority. Second of all, I'm not comparing my authority among all the people who like me. Because quite frankly, I'm not consistent. <laughs> By the way, I love that part. I'm not consistent. When you, I, there may be somebody in this congregation who do not understand that I'm going to ask for your forgiveness because you are a saint. You have been the one person who everybody know that you're just going to be that. But quite frankly, you're probably irritating anyway. Because <laughs> people who are always the same, you know what they're called judgmental? They're called an inability to listen. The only reason you remain always the same is because you let no one affect you. Congratulations. But Paul says, you know what? <laughs> you experienced me. I get it. I am frustrating. I write one thing and then I show up another way and I say that you have no idea who I'm going to be. I, I'm crazy myself. You ever thought of that in your life? Man, I'm frustrated by myself. So my authority is not based on even my consistency or, or because I won all the time. My authority is based on one thing, what Jesus has done in my life, and that I do everything I can to live as Christ told me to live. And you can call me not on being Paul, former Pharisee, not on being Paul, the dude who's not a disciple that everybody thinks he is, not on that, but on the very fact is this what Jesus would do because that's how I learned to listen and change. If there's a Paul here, your salvation and your authority to be used by God has nothing to do with your intellectual ability, nothing to do with your perfection, but everything to do with a heart after Jesus and an ability for someone to look you in the eye and say, that's not 
what Jesus would do. In fact, I would say every great move, and I'm almost finished, every great move, because I, I can see Presbyterian time going up. Every great move in the church in general and in the Presbyterian, when we look at it in the past, Presbyterian church specifically, when we look at the past, we've dressed it up. We moved because we saw a confessional change. We moved because uh, we theologically got deeper. That's not why we moved and became more light. It's because churches like this kept saying, that's not Jesus. And those who were listening, they changed. And now that they changed, it would be an obstinate, angry, small thing to say they cannot speak because they've not always been there. We moved with women because, you know, all of our biblical interpretation was changing. Now it's because some sisters say, I don't really care. I know God called me and stood up and start speaking and the wall started shaking and people say, that's God. We moved because of a relationship. We valued a relationship. Don't you get it? The power of the Corinthian church was the very messy thing that we hate to read about is their relationships. And they're relying upon the fundamental reality of who we are. In a time where we have political divisiveness, in the time when it is easier to agree with people who agree with me, it may be time to defend folks who are indefensible by the power of God. It may be also time for folks who are being dismissed to bring them into the circle because of the power of God. Not, not because they're right, and not to exclude anybody, and not to not have accountability, don't get me wrong, but to say, how are we going to have a future when all we have are the enemies and the people who won? Because the people who won still believe they're in a fight, and the people who lost are still fighting. That's not the beloved community. The beloved community is as weird and bizarre as this Corinthian community. It's as hard to think about as is that community. It's as difficult to mentor people who are younger, who say to them, Jesus Christ is concerned not just about the winning, but the process of loving and the possibility of redemption. It has become problematic for we in the church to talk about salvation. And we do it only on an individual level. But lean into the camera and listen closely. The church is a wildly hopeful and imaginative community of people that declares that the world itself can be saved because of the people that believe in each other 
and the God who made it. Weird, isn't it? Bizarre, isn't it? But that's what we mean about the universality of Christ, not some ideal of thinking and purity, but an ideal of hope and affirmation and belief and power. For Martin Luther King believed Bull Connors, not only should he be stopped, but one day he might become an ally. Janie Spar, my friend Janie Spar. I always got to remember whether I can tell the story out loud or not, but there is a person I know very well, and, Jane, and Janie knows very well, and he says some things to her that are profoundly uncomfortable. And Janie just looked at him and said, Oh, you just don't know yet. Because she believed in the power of hope and that an ally is always one redemptive act of God and relationship away. So, Paul, Paulina, I don't know if you're here. You're driving yourself crazy. You remember all the stuff you didn't do right. And we still think you're inconsistent. But come here. Come to this table. Come to this community. Wake up to grace. Understand that God is calling you. And for those of us who may be sitting by a Paul and a Paulina, have to deal with them, have to completely watch them in transition. The whole point of all of these years in loving them is to be loving to them and listening to them. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Giver of life, amen.